Welcome to CII Podcasts. A very good afternoon to all of you ladies and gentlemen and thank you for joining this special discussion on the India at 75 fireside chat series on I have a dream. You know, a very good morning to our friends who are joining us from Europe and a very good evening to those who are joining us from the rest of Asia. You know, one of the reasons we try and time it around this time is because you know we really want to discuss india in a larger global context and its position as we move from, from india at 75 uh, towards india at 100 and today to you know engage with us in this very exciting topic on how can really industry level the playing field for india at 100 uh, we have none other than dr noshad forbes uh, he is the co-chairman of forbes marshall which is india's leading process and energy efficiency company and i and i must highlight energy efficiency because not only does forbes marshall do it for themselves but it helps industry actually build and sustain highly efficient plants by reducing waste optimizing process energy efficiency complying with regulatory requirements something that's going to be a very very important and critical aspect for india you know as we move forward and knowing noshad over these years this is definitely one company and one person who walks the talk really strongly uh, you know forbes marshall has also been ranked as a great place to work uh, and aspiring to be a multinational with indian roots again a space that you know india hopes to occupy with much greater intensity over the next 25 years and noshad's also been the chairman of uh, he is the chairman of ananta aspen center and the center for technology innovation and economic research uh, he is you know on several education boards and institutions uh, he's a founding member of the nayanta university a full service university which is opening in 2024 spearheaded by cii and of course i think a large part of that thought and vision Uh, probably came up uh, when he was the president of CII from 2016 in 2016-17 uh, he's been a, a teacher at Stanford University and developed courses again very important for me to emphasize this on technology in newly industrializing countries and of course is a full-fledged alumni from Stanford having done his bachelor's masters uh, and PhD uh, you know from there and of course an author uh, and also the latest book the struggle and the promise restoring india's potential uh, was published last year so you know we do have someone who is a deep thinker a contributor as well as a leader uh, not only for india where it is today and but where it will you know go in the future so welcome noshad and thank you for taking the time to to participate in this conversation uh, you know the idea is to to bring minds like yours uh, to think you know in a larger context of india collectively try and build a bottom up and a top down and a multi stakeholder vision document for our future evaluate it every 5 years and nourish it you know with ingredients that will enable us to reach to the best of our potential as a country so with that you know maybe a great way to start this conversation you know since it is about you know india at 100 and how do we really make that happen and i know that's also a very important part you know for you so you know if you were to go to bed tonight and you know dream of uh, india at 100 you know what what do you think will appear in your dream and when you wake up on 15th august 2047 and look around you you know what's the india you will see i'm presuming that's the dream 
and i think our conversation today will be you know to navigate from you going to bed tonight head to waking up on that 15th august 2047 and really what do we need to do to make sure that happens so what's your vision your dream for india today so rajan first of all thank you for uh, not only this conversation but for uh, hosting this series of conversations um and second for your many years of leadership of first india at 75 and then and now india at 100 um it's really invaluable in helping us uh, really put together this broad uh, objective for us as a country and then to get so many useful efforts underway uh, that will get us there so thank you for all of your leadership in this area and as i say not just not just in the short run but over many many years uh, and look forward to many more Uh, as well um so my dream for india at 100 um you know i as you know uh, when i speak about things i always like to think in threes so i have uh, three parts to the dream um the first part is an obvious part which is certainly i would expect an india at 100 to be a much wealthier country uh so to be a country uh which ranks in the upper income category among all countries worldwide um we should be by then by the time we are 100 years old as an independent country we should be uh we should be amongst the world's wealthier countries um and this will take a rate of growth over this period over these next 25 years 24 years um that is very significant it will take a rate of growth of probably around if you work out the numbers i think it will take a rate of growth of around 8-9% year on year for 25 years. Um it's not that countries haven't done that before. China has done it for the last 40 years. Uh Japan did it in the 50s and 60s, uh you know South Korea, Taiwan did it in the 60s and 70s. Countries have done it for extended periods of time. We need to as well. In these next 25 years we need to have a rapid rate of economic growth. um and this rapid rate of economic growth will then translate us into us being uh, a wealthier upper income country by 2047 that's the first pe- first element the second element is that it's not enough to just be much wealthier overall as a country uh this growth has to be inclusive and it needs to be more inclusive than it has been in recent years and i uh, i hope we can talk about that more uh later on as well about how we can be more inclusive in our in our growth processes and what role industry can play in that inclusive growth process you know um and my metric if you like for inclusive growth is that our median income uh needs to be uh, a lot higher than it is now so not just average income but median income needs to be a lot higher than it is now and it needs to be amongst the world's highest median incomes in other words the typical indian um 24 years from now should be living a prosperous healthy comfortable clean life uh that that opportunity is what we need to be able to provide um to the average indian citizen uh not just to those who are well being and the third piece if you like of the dream is uh i think i dream of us being a model of a liberal democracy uh we we have been a model for the world as a democracy when we were a very poor country 
but we were a model because we were this almost isolated example of a very poor country that was simultaneously democratic and followed democratic principles and i hope that that those principles of being a democracy and being a liberal democracy not only sustain but grow and develop and deepen and this should show in the institutions that we have as a country 24 years out uh the depth of the institutions the independence of those institutions the spread of those institutions across different walks of life it should show in the principles that we stand for of a rules based international order and it should show in our leadership of multilateral institutions so we contribute not only to our own well-being but to the wider well-being of the world so i look to an india that is wealthier i look to an indian an india that is much more wide in its coverage of affluence and in the average indian being living a really comfortable healthy high opportunity life and i look to an india that is a model for many others in how to behave in the world no i think you know you have set such a a bar of an aspiration and that you know humanity hasn't seen before right i don't think ever in the history a country of a 1.4 billion people you know on the principles of a liberal democracy have been able to bring an economic transformation of this size and scale and make it inclusive so you know thank you nawshad for sharing that aspiration and and i tell you that this is the potential of a country you know that can technically be achieved you know over two to one half decades so i know it's very doable it's about us figuring out you know how do we align around such a large aspiration and then of course get all the nuts and bolts together you know to to make it happen but you know in your comments you mentioned you know one thing that we should go deeper on and i want to go right away a little into that and you know that is about the whole inclusive agenda right and i and you know you talk of a median income because for a very large country that's not really that easy right a smaller it's not easy it's not easy you know how do we create a equitable environment you know for india at 100 how do we really you know inclusion requires promoting diversity you know in our workforce supply chains business practices you know it's a holistic exercise and so what what role can industry really play you know uh, uh, to 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 make this happen so you know i think you know first of all inclusion is good in itself uh, you know and it's good actually for industry and good for business um it's good in itself for obvious reasons uh you know you you have less poverty uh you have greater equality you have especially greater equality of opportunity uh everyone participates in the growth process it's good for industry because look at where our where our economic growth has come from over these last 30 years since 1991 really we've had a consumption driven economy consumption growth in consumption has been the driving force of our economy for these 30 years and that's with increasing millions of people coming into the consuming class into you know first time buyers of everything from toothpaste to holidays um now that's with relatively little inclusion if we can include 1.4 billion people uh in our growth processes we will create wealth for all of indian industry and for much of the world's industry and we will create 
great companies that will be powered forward across the board, across sectors, across years and years and years um, of tremendous growth. So it's it's in our interest to really have uh, a, an inclusive growth process, an economy that is as inclusive as possible. What can we do to make our growth processes more inclusive as industry? Um, two areas. One within the CSR area and one very specifically within what's good for business right now. Uh, in the CSR area, you know, for education is already the single biggest destination of CSR funding. I think it accounts for just under 40% of all CSR funding. Uh, that's a very good thing. Uh, just within CI, uh, you know, my guess is, my rough back of the envelope calculation is that we work as CI members with about 30,000 schools in the country. Now, the new education policy has a very good uh, objective. It says we should try to teach at the right level and ensure second standard outcomes. Very simple, focused uh, objective. I think it's a great objective and it's one that all of us as CI members should try to practice within all the schools that we work with in any case. And if we work with 30,000 schools, we can influence the outcomes for 1.5 million children a year. That's about 15% of all children in the country. And you do it year on year on year and pretty soon you're having a pretty dramatic effect on providing children with those basic skills that they need to participate in economic growth in the long run, to participate in a modern economy in the long run. So that's the single, if you like, CSR objective that we should have as companies. But we should go beyond and we should also worry about our own business objectives. Uh, I'll give you a small example from our own firm. You know, one of the things you mentioned, we do energy conservation. We supply a lot of equipment to our customers. Uh, that equipment gets installed, it saves customers energy, etc. But what, do we, what have we found in the past? We find that after a few months, the energy savings start coming down. They, they, very, they, they, they jump up when everything gets installed. Over some months, it starts uh, declining because maintenance practices or the way in which it's operated or you know simple things, trainers aren't cleaned or whatever. Uh, so we've started something called a shared value initiative where we try to create employment um, where the customers actually through a local contractor hire uh, a group of uh, engineers we train the engineers we supervise the engineers um, and they then maintain the products on an ongoing basis we benefit because the products perform better the customer benefits hugely because um, you know energy savings are sustained um, and We've created multiples of employment from what we could ever create as a firm ourselves. So it becomes a really nice, inclusive growth engine where we are skilling people to do something. That skilling results in productive employment. That productive employment will then flow through in terms of increased consuming power and spending power. Everyone wins. So I think now this is one example for us as a firm. Um, every firm can find similar opportunities to do things that are good business and that include more and more people in the country's growth processes. No, I think, you know, that's a great perspective, Naushad, on 
the way industry should be thinking even about its own role right because not only are you you know when you combine the csr you look at your business objectives you look at nation development you know the industry itself benefits right through that and i think the future level of innovation for india you know will come with certain non negotiables you know which have to yep. have you know social equity scale and you know this kind of innovation that drives you know performance at lower price affordability uh, very very clearly because without these agendas you know i think your vision and the dream of that india will probably not come true and i think cii particularly has you know taken this position nearly 15 years ago and you know you've chaired the india 75 foundation as well you know to really see how industry can be a convening platform to align multiple stakeholders Yeah. to focus on a long term agenda you know so that collaboratively we can work you know to be able to ensure you know outcomes and you know given that diversity that we have in india with states and you know different level of you know growth and development uh, you know it's hard to prioritize initiatives right for in india but i'm going to put you on the spot with your you know your three uh, uh, you know points that you like to like always talk about if we were to look at three areas that industry you know should prioritize right in order to again drive inclusive agenda inclusive development with the extensive reach and resources that industry would have uh, what would those be so so two two i mentioned uh, and i'll repeat those two and then there's a third one so the the, the first is this csr agenda that focus the work that we do with schools as it is you know keep doing all the work that we're doing with schools as a part of our our csr work but in addition focus on this one thing of second standard outcomes right that every child coming out of the second standard should be able to read and do arithmetic at the second standard level that single outcome can transform the prospects for that child uh, in their lives because in the rest of their schooling instead of spending a large part of their schooling learning how to read and write they can spend the rest of their schooling learning what they're supposed to in the third and the fifth and the eighth standard and that means that they then can simply transform their lives right the second is this point on skilling to focus our efforts on skilling people who can get employed and preferably in sectors as like the example that i that i mentioned for us as a company in sectors that are related to the firm because then we understood we understand those sectors so if you're a paint company skill painters uh if you're a you know uh, an auto company skill mechanics you know skill people in sectors that matter to the firm itself so that you understand what skills are needed and you also can very directly actually influence the employment outcomes the earnings outcomes of many more people and the third piece is to focus on women uh and you know to focus on uh on you know we have we have a we should be very ashamed as a country that we have the lowest female participation in the labor force of the G20 of any country in the G20 including by the way Saudi Arabia we used to be second to second worst to Saudi Arabia now we were Saudi Arabia is, has a higher female labor force participation ratio than India does um that's a terrible position to be in if we simply match male and female labor force participation 
we would be 60% richer as a country right now. So we're not talking about tremendous outcomes. We're just saying, you know, if our female participation is equal to our male participation, which is not huge, uh, we'll be 60% richer as a country. Such a huge opportunity for us. What needs to change for women to be productively employed uh, in the country? So we worry about education outcomes again. We worry about social biases that say, oh, women can't work on the shop floor. Women can't do X, Y, Z job. I mean, who says, let women say that they can't do those jobs. Why should men say that? <laughs> right? so, so we get rid of those biases, right? Uh, that keep women from entering certain occupations. And then we really worry about how we can provide enough women as role models who rise in organizations and take on and get involved in new professions that are traditionally not occupations that women participate in. I think it's a big opportunity for us. I would say it's our third big inclusion opportunity. No, I think I think all the three areas you know you talk about is in the area of employment, labor force inclusion, education, leadership positions. You know there is this you know gap that needs to be filled. You know, but but how do we do it? You know, uh, is is there something that you can think of? Uh, you know, that can clearly enable that to happen. I mean, is there some order? Because there are so many shifts, you know, Naushad, and and each gets to some level. But you know, at the at the country level, which you're saying is so important and critical in a time frame of about say two two and a half decades, how do we make that happen? So you know, it's it's a uh... It's tough, right? Um, it's tough. I think it'll come from companies across the board really engaging very actively in practices that are different. So let me give you uh, a couple of small examples because I think it'll be many small things that will make a difference. Um, when we hire graduate trainee engineers, you know, the great bulk of people that we recruit in our company every year are graduate trainee engineers. Um, and we used to always end up with, you know, 25 engineers out of 25 engineers, two would be women. And then we've simply said, no, we have to have a much higher proportion. We're still only at about a third, right? Um, we need to get to a half. <laughs> right? um, and when we do, that's a good way because if you employ enough graduate training engineers, then five years out, you have a chance that some of your managers and the new newly promoted managers will also be women. 10 years out, the more senior managers and so on and so forth. So you create that pipeline uh, all the way through. Second, in terms of lateral hiring, um, a practice again is that if you have three candidates um, that are shortlisted, one of the three shortlisted candidates has to be a woman. If you don't have a woman as one of the three candidates, you cannot go ahead with the appointment. So, you know, I mean, some of these are and these are, you know, different companies will have to come up with different things that they will, how they will approach things. But I think we need to each figure these out for ourselves and then try to practice them to push the, push things ahead uh, in a practical way. Yeah, and you know, maybe even collectively address that societal bias, you know, that you mentioned. And you know, when you look yeah. at global examples, right, when we look at matriarchal societies, for example, this is not an issue. Right, because it it is addressed just in a societal construct, right? That has enabled that to happen, you know, very differently. And I think maybe I don't know if there is a 
paid for us, you know, uh, on a collaborative effort. And since you have prioritized this as one of your top three agendas, yeah. and you know, probably we'll keep coming back to you yeah. even as India at hundred. So really, I think it's such a critical, important part. And you know, you rightly outline the contribution that that can make to all the you know initial aspects of our median incomes and. Even growing wealthier as a country, right? I mean, we all see the women leaders and you know how successful in the way they you know can really navigate so many other situations. So it's a big missing part for us to collect. Totally, it totally is, and I'm I'm you know, and I'm not claiming any any primacy or pride of place here. I mean, we have as much work to do in our own company. So so I'll give you an example. We were. You know, we've recently helped helped support a R&D managers of the future program, uh, and uh, I was at the convocation of the second batch uh, in Ahmedabad uh, uh, last month, and very proud of the program, very happy with the program. Twenty-five great engineers, very well received program. All six companies, twenty-five engineers, not one woman. <laughs> so. We have lots of work to do, including from us. Yeah, and you know, there is symbolism, you know, having yeah. a woman on a board and you know, a few other yeah. things. But I think that has to be, yeah. you know, pursued and accelerated and, you know, what you rightly said, yeah. you know, a grown at a much larger pace. But, you know, also now, Shad, moving to, you know, an area that I know you're, you're very passionate about and which is, again, very critical, you know, for India's, uh, you know, being able to achieve the the aspirational India that you know you talk about is you know our entire area of uh, you know higher education and and really how do we use that you know specifically to strengthen our global positioning you know that we've come to be recognized in terms of our technology or if you know, if not you know maybe in digital and IT but in many other areas you know if we were to develop that our innovation ecosystem and really say that okay India is a powerhouse of technology and innovation very important for us to have you know the higher education system to be able to deliver that um, how, how do you think about that when we are looking at you know the next 25 years so i mean it's the higher education system is is critical to the success of our firms in the long run uh, because the one you know when people many companies maybe most companies will say people are our most important asset um, and if that's true, and I think it is true, then uh, what determines the quality of people? It's the it's the quality of education that they receive. That's the inflow into most companies. So how good are the people that we're recruiting on a regular basis? So every company has a real direct interest um, in improving the quality of higher education outcomes. So it's you know, this is not something that's CSR for companies. This is in our direct interest. We should get involved, right? How can we get involved? What should we do, right? Um, and I'll make some comments about what industry should do and what we should do from a policy perspective. So what we should do from industry is parties work with the colleges that we're recruiting from to improve the quality of the education they provide. So expose faculty at the colleges to have them come and do you know, programs in industry, let them take sabbaticals and spend time two months in the summer every year working in industry just to understand what industry is working on. Um, they'll go back and then 
their work, their own work in research and so on, will be somewhat influenced by what we're doing in industry, if they know what we're doing. Uh, second, give students internships. Go to colleges and participate in actual teaching. If we can, we can collectively make a big difference, uh, at least for engineering colleges. More widely in higher education, more difficult, but engineering colleges, management institutes, we can very directly contribute to the quality of outcomes. And then from the policy perspective, recent announcement over the last two weeks of the National Research Foundation, very good initiative, good number, 50,000 crores over five years. That 50,000 crores over five years, um, if it's implemented as announced, which is it will be provided only to higher education research, not to government laboratories, but to higher education research. It will double the current budget. Uh, the, the current spending is about 10,000 crores a year in higher education, the, uh, the research done in higher education. If it's another 10,000 crores coming from the National Research Foundation, that will double it. That's a great initiative. We have to ensure that it gets implemented as designed, that the state funds that program liberally, and that it is accessible on a peer-reviewed competitive basis to all education institutions, public and private. It can really be transformative because if faculty do more research, the teaching that they have will be more current. The students that come out of those institutes will be that much better educated and they will be, if you like, the, the fuel for innovation within industry itself. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's a great, great point because I think at the end of the day, Innovation within industry is something I know you always talk about, you know, about the R&D spends that Indian private sector has vis-a-vis -vis many of the, you know, other it's countries. It's very low. It's very low. And, you know, really, uh, there needs to be something that, you know, triggers that, right? I mean, I understand competitiveness globally and, you know, companies are doing whatever best they can to stay there, right? But there is an environment or an ecosystem that somewhere prioritizes that, you know, as an enabler of of, of maybe uh, faster growth, which, which you outlined right in the beginning, uh, you know, and, and I think without innovation and, you know, technological advancement, especially in today's day and age, which is, you know, becoming so disruptive, right? Because as, you know, things get more digitized and industry 4.0 becomes, you know, larger and more prevalent across areas and sectors and with AI and new emerging technologies that are just making it, you know, so much uh, uh, more disruptive for existing industries and businesses. You know, it's important for our industry to invest, you know, or keep that at a prioritized level. Uh, how do we really enable that? Because that will give us a level playing field, at least at a global level, because if, you know, if we do achieve all the things that you mentioned, uh, about yeah. uh, India at 100, we would be a force to reckon with globally in any case. So, how do we make that happen? So, you know, I'll, I'll suggest just one thing, which um, is an exercise we've tried to get all the firms participating in the same R&D managers program that I mentioned earlier. Uh, we've asked them to do a benchmarking exercise for their firm on R&D investments. And we've said, compare their own R&D investments with the R&D investments of the top 10 to 20 firms in their own industry. 
and say, you know, as a percentage of sales, how much do they invest? What is how, what's the comparison? Given that percentage, which is usually publicly available, it's not difficult to get. Then for one or two firms in that top 20, 10 or 20 list worldwide, look more granularly at what these other firms are doing. Um, you know, what kind of flow of output do they have in terms of new products and processes coming out, say over the last five years? Um, how many people do they have in their R&D departments? What qualifications do they have? We can start doing a more granular benchmarking exercise of our own R&D departments vis-a-vis -vis the R&D departments of the leading firms in our industry. Then we'll be clearer on the gaps. Then we'll be clearer that, listen, you know, because otherwise I find that sometimes when we go around and talk about, look, India needs to increase its R&D spending and it's, we have to start with in-house R&D spending going up. The general view is that we're already doing a lot. And then the only way you can change that is if people actually look at their spending and what output they get as a result of their spending uh, and what kind of people they have in R&D and they do benchmarking with other firms. And then it starts becoming clearer that where the gaps are, where are we fine, where are we not fine, what do we need to really address and do. No, so is it, you know, sometimes what you, I think you raised a great point here, you know, the outcomes that you derive out of the way we define R&D in India, maybe, I don't know, you know, because there needs to be a, I think an ecosystem, right, that supports it, right, whether it is the right kind of talent, you know, the external, uh, you know, you talk of academia, you talk of, you know, the way the government looks at R&D, of course, in India, you know, the large part of the R&D expense comes through the government. I mean, even today, I mean, even though it's a small number, for half. half, you know, but is all of that R&D really giving an outcome, right? I mean, R&D in its specific term itself is, you know, not necessarily going to give you outcome, but what I'm saying is better outcomes that industry can use, you know, and, and maybe there are some global examples of countries that are better at doing that than others. And we know that. Is there something for us to learn, but still add our Indian way of, you know, something to it? And have you thought further on this? So, so you know, uh, so, so every year, um, there's a global innovation index that's published by, I think it's done between, uh, I think it's done between IMD or NCIAD, one of the European business schools. And then uh, CI is also involved in it, uh, and the and WIPO, the World Intellectual Property Organization, is involved. And one of the things that they've said for many years is that you know we we've improved our ranking, but we're still ranked fairly low in the Global Innovation Index. Um, one of the areas where we always rank near the top is in the efficiency of R&D spending. Uh, so we don't spend much. But what we spend, we use very efficiently. In other words, what little R&D we do, we get very good outcomes. Now, the hope should be that if we are so efficient in our R&D spending, why don't we do more of it, <laughs> right? So, because we, the returns to R&D investments are huge. The returns are typically 80% plus a year. I mean, with those kinds of returns, we should be doing a lot more of R&D and I hope that as one does more of this kind of benchmarking, you know, the efficiency with which we do R&D should start showing up in us doing much more uh, and then creating those kinds of uh, those kinds of innovative, leading, 
leading technology firms that uh, that you were talking about and that we need to to have a strong place in in the world you know it's very interesting you say this because just recently someone a venture fund was making a pitch you know to me and you know the track record wasn't that good or one there was one where the track record was excellent and they said the only push we get from my investors you're not taking enough risk because you're not failing more <laughs> i mean we want yeah. a worse outcome than that because the, yeah. you know taking is also about seeing that much failure it's not only about efficiency but then you will be cautious and you probably have incremental innovation but not this right so i think it's Absolutely. it's a very hard piece to navigate you know and and i and that's where we see this this complex merging of, of new age business models and you know traditional businesses and you know like we say lost leaders for a long time but then suddenly able to change and how do we you know as as a society as industry really bring about something that will you know probably get both of these to work together yeah. in a, yeah. in a society right <laughs> you know you know they they you know they, they say that in in a good manufacturing company gets it right first time they say a good r&d company gets it wrong first time <laughs> because if it if it doesn't get it wrong it's exactly as you're saying it it's not doing enough it's not trying enough things so you know that is a different mindset and how you mix that mindset of you know good manufacturing get it right first time and good r&d get it wrong first time is a tough job And so how do you align you know, different sets of stakeholders yeah. around you know yeah. being able to yeah. coexist? And that's why I say, right, the challenge for India, you know, is is that much harder, you know, because of the scale, the disparity that we have, you know, in economic sections, social fabric, many many aspects, right? But at the end of the day, really, for us to be able to collaborate effectively. we do need all our stakeholders to come together right i mean you know and i think the entire basis of india 75 the india 100 agenda is really to get multi stakeholder you know alignment engagement aspiration capturing to be able to build something of a vision that you know touches or resonates you know with a common thread across large section of society right what you also you know mentioned now each you know stakeholder has to play a role government has to play the role private sector needs to play the role civil society you know needs to play a role and it has to happen collaboratively so you know i know it's a very tough <laughs> question like india at 75 and india at 100 we brought you know a lot of uh, pro bono volunteering you know companies actually you know letting the professionals engage in society because there's a big learning that comes back also as a part of it and you know many examples have been tried to see how to in still that sense of national pride you know get the heart to really say that we need to make this happen because then the commitment also grows it's a complex problem but it's an important one for us to be able to think about and you know solve for so how do you think about this collaboration amongst multiple stakeholders so you know i think the first the first piece is you know how do you get how do you get people aligned and this is this is true This is true in companies. It's true across sectors. It's true between industry and government, with civil society, etc. I think shared alignment will come from shared understanding. So you know, so and and I think these kinds of conversations, but the broader work that India at hundred and India at seventy-five have done, uh, plays a big role in building that shared understanding. because from that shared understanding 
I mean, there's no other basis for shared alignment. I mean, otherwise, otherwise, alignment will be the boss saying, "Here's how it is. Now do as I say." Uh, that's authoritarian. That's not shared understanding. That's uh, someone dictating what needs to be done. So I think it's a much more positive, strong way if um, we understand each other better. From the understanding, we develop a shared view of what the problem is that we're trying to solve for, a shared vision of where we want to end up being, um, and then a shared pathway of how we're going to get there. Um, and that shared understanding, I think, can become the foundation for alignment, motivation, encouragement of each other, respect for each other. Um, you know, too often, you know, like say when you talk about industry institute interaction in the education space, too often you have these very weird comments on each side, which doesn't help. You know that you know institutes will say of industry, oh, they're not interested in R and D. They're not interested in development. They're not interested in anything except you know um, what their profit is this year. And then industry will say, oh, institutions, they're all up. Their heads are in the clouds. They don't understand timeframes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you turn that on its head and you expect the best of each other, all of a sudden collaboration becomes much more feasible and much more interesting. So, you know, it, it's that shared respect, shared understanding from different stakeholders that starts building, I think, the alignment that we need uh, for, for common objectives. But we have to start by saying these are our common objectives. No, no, I think, and I, and I completely, you know, uh, I think it's it's so important because everyone needs to resonate, you know, with that with that shared uh, aspect of, you know, when especially industry we say, do you compete, compete or do you collaborate? Right? Like we talk competitive collaboration, or yeah. you know, somewhere where you know that the larger goal is is or is larger than the individual goal, but everybody individually is also, yeah. you know, probably. So the you know, my, 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 my view would be collaborate on inputs, compete on outputs. You know, so compete in the market so that customers get a better deal and we keep coming up with something better. And collaborate on inputs, collaborate on the quality of education, quality of uh, CSR work that we do, how we engage with each other, how we work with government. Collaborate on inputs. No, I think that's a great way for us to yeah. view this, right? Because when you when you break it down the way you have done that, that could be a very um, like the framework level guiding factor, you know. When and it's not only industry, right? I think it is also when it comes to citizens and it comes to you know civil society, even for different government agencies, how do they collaborate? You know, state, district, national. I think it's a great way to to kind of look at a society fabric. Uh, and I think that could be a very powerful takeaway for, you know, uh, the India at 100. And, you know, one of the discussions that has come up in a few of the earlier ones is also, you know, India by its core nature, right, has that element of, you know, the larger whole because of maybe the way, you know, we have been based as society and, and, and one who has the potential to be a super partner to the world rather than assert itself as a complete superpower. Okay. To be a super okay. partner, you need to have both collaboration and competitiveness really built in very effectively. So I think it's a very important theme and thank you Noshad for, you know, kind of 
you know highlighting that and as i'm looking at the clock i realize <laughs> we are beginning to run out of time but i we cannot end this conversation you know without really you know thinking about the future and talking about the future and especially the future leaders uh, you know from india because ultimately you know it's that leadership it's that youth energy uh, you know that is going to uh, you know make this happen it's a big strength for india it's our demographic dividend we talked about you know women and that power youth and its power and you know given that you chair ananta aspen uh, you know uh, as an institution and you know having been closely associated both of us we understand the power of great youth leadership development you know based on shared values right even a shared understanding ultimately comes on shared values and you know how do we really make that transition happen so what's your message you know to Uh, to the young people of this country and and really how do you believe they can engage you know deeper with national development of course and you know their own individual careers and everything would anyways get shaped in that process you know uh, people would often ask me you know i used to uh, as as you mentioned in the in your very kind introduction people used to ask me which do you enjoy more you know teaching at stanford or working in industry in 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 india and i used to always say well um you know i really enjoy the teaching i really enjoy the students that i work with and really intelligent students it's a lot of fun all of that um but i was very clear that uh, where i am truly satisfied is working in india and the reason is maybe it's just my ego speaking but i felt that i made much more of a difference here you know that i figured that if i never ever went back to stanford again it would never be it wouldn't have been any worse a university if they'd never heard of me it would have been just this just as good um make more of a difference here and i think that's true uh, across sectors in india uh we can make a difference we can make a big difference uh and ultimately that's what i think life is all about you know it's uh, if you want a life of purpose um you need to you want to influence things even if you make one person's life better you've lived a worthwhile life um and i think that ability to contribute in whatever field one is interested in is so great in india uh and it's so great in india because we're a private sector led economy it's so great in india because we have such active civil society with such active ngos you know we're supposed to have 3 million ngos which as i always like to say is probably counting everyone socially committed grandmother but you know it's the largest ngo sector in the world um these are opportunities to participate uh these are opportunities to actually contribute in whatever way and the results and the outcomes and the benefits come back they come back again and again and they come back bigger and bigger um but it's just an opportunity to really live a life of purpose uh if you live in india um you know living i used to a friend of ours you uh, rajan you may remember hans gas he used to be the md of sandvik uh sandvik asia and pune and he was a huge enthusiast of, of india and he used to i remember once having a conversation with him where uh, about working in france versus working in india and he says he says it's no choice there's no choice he says what did i worry about when i was in france he says what were the discussions the discussions were you know how can how can we have 
uh, how can we finish work early on Fridays? How can we give two more days of holidays uh, at the ta- at Christmas? How can we have another week of holiday in the year? He says, this is the focus. The focus was on what you do outside of work. And he says the focus for him when he was with Sandvik in Pune was how can we enter a new world market? How can we improve quality and beat the Japanese in quality of this product? It was all about all about achievement um, and the results of the company. He says, where would you rather work? Uh, you know, in France or in India? Um, he says, no contest. Uh, and I think that's what we offer as a country in abundance in every sector, whether one is a teacher or whether one is working in industry, whether one is running a company, working in it, um, whether one is in a university, whether one is in government, there are opportunities to contribute. That to me is what makes us great and it will be true for the next 25 years too. No, absolutely. You know, And I think what you talked of a developed, satisfied society to a hungry society, right? In those, in those problems and challenges lie the opportunities. I think the, you know, you, you, you talked of purpose, right? And really building that purpose in a society where you can see and you know you can make a difference is, is, is so much more different from just having a theoretical understanding, you know, of that. Like even in my family, as you know, my dad got us to India to be raised mm-hmm. in India, yeah. to be able to sensitize ourselves to that environment. Yeah. I did the same with my girls, you know, and, and I think that that is so important, you know, for us to be able to uh, understand and appreciate the difference that one can make. And I think if every young person in this country is able to align around, you know, their positive contribution to solving this, I think really we'll, we'll get there, uh, you know, irrespective of, of, of what else happens. So I think yeah. a lot of that energy lies in, in, in the young people of India and they're molding themselves, you know, to to enable this to happen. But very, very inspiring, Naushad, what you just, you know, ended with. And I think uh, it's been such a lovely conversation, uh, you know, Thank right you. from the, the, the vision to, to really how do we go about, you know, making this happen. And and all I can say, Naushad, you're going to have to keep playing a larger role uh, in, in, in ensuring that happening, not only, you know, through your businesses and you know, through your other commitments, but also around CII and India at 100 as we, you know, uh, further move on in this direction. But thank you so much for your time, for all your inputs. Very enriching and engaging conversation. Thank, thank you, Rajan. Always, as you know, as always a pleasure to be involved in anything you are. No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts.